Welcome to Walking with Freya, a journey through special needs parenting. This podcast is a place for parents and caregivers of children with special needs to share stories, the very real struggles and challenges we face, along with the inevitable love and joy these children have brought into our lives. This is a place for unapologetic honesty, well-intentioned laughter, and endless support. A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hey everyone, so if you've listened to Jessica Pate's episode, which is the one right before this, coming out on the same day, then you may hear a little repeat on the explanation in this intro, but don't worry, everything else is a new conversation. So in honor of PWS Awareness Month, I wanted to bring you all some practical tips and strategies for moms in the trenches of PWS. Now, originally, this was supposed to be one episode, but I spoke with two women that I admire and whose wisdom and experience I value. They both have such a wonderful, such wonderful advice and wisdom to share that I didn't want one to get lost in the other. So I've decided to publish two separate episodes, and I know you're going to enjoy both and really get a lot out of them. I did. So please follow Walking with Freya on Instagram or follow or join the Facebook page PWS Community Challenge for the month of May. I'm putting out special posts and trying to start conversations around PWS. And please rate and review the podcast if you haven't already on the Apple Podcast app or on your however you listen to podcasts because this is very important for spreading the word and helping people find the podcast. So now this episode is with Emily Felt. Emily is a friend that I've made on this journey with PWS. We first met in person in the cafeteria of UCSF. She and her daughter Ollie drove from Davis to meet Freya and I before an appointment. As you'll hear, we both value our relationships, strive for gratitude and a healthy positivity, and believe in the importance of building community. Now, she's been on this podcast a few times and always brings an enlightening freshness and beautiful sentiments to the conversation, which I'm always very appreciative of. We spoke about some practical logistics in raising a child with PWS, having clear boundaries, food safety and social situations and home, anxiety and how it manifests like perseveration, skin picking and food obsessing, and strategies for managing the anxiety and the accompanying behaviors. Here's a clue. Empathy is a great start. Emily also talked about the importance of gratitude and ways to bring more of it into your daily life and the life of your family. Now, next week's episode is with three wonderful women from the Latham Centers, a residential and educational facility in Massachusetts. Now, these women are my new heroes. I love them so much. This talk was just so heartfelt and touching, and I'll get more into that next week. And then the last week of PWS Awareness Month, I get to share with you an interview that I have yet to have with Kate Fox. She is a dietitian in Australia who focuses on PWS. Now on to this episode. I hope that you enjoy this 
episode with Emily felt. I know you will. It's just wonderful and beautiful. And Emily is just such a beautiful person. So, and if you haven't checked out the episode right before this with Jessica Pate, she's also a wonderful person. And I'm just so grateful that they both were willing to come back on and talk with me. So, um, enjoy these, enjoy this episode and remember to come back next week for a beautiful and inspiring conversation with Patrice Carroll, Katrina Franklin, and Brittany Clement, Clement, got it the second time, from the Latham Centers. So yeah, enjoy and thank you all for being here. Well, for anyone who doesn't know me, I'm Emily Feltz. Um, I'm the mother to a nine-year-old beautiful girl with Prader-Willi syndrome, and I also have a 13-year-old boy. Um, for, for work, I do writing and communications work, and I also do coaching. And I think my story is probably unique because um, my daughter was born in Spain, and uh, my husband's actually from Spain. And so with both of my kids, we've been living an interesting lifestyle of kind of spending our time in two different countries and trying to have experiences in both of those places. So both here in Northern California, and then also uh, we spend part of our year generally in Barcelona, although this past year with COVID looked a little bit different. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's who I am and that's a little bit my story. So what we are gonna do is we're gonna talk about our own personal experiences with PWS. And I was just wondering if you had any like special tips or anything around food, like when you when you leave the house, if there are, if you have certain issues that come up and if there's ways that you handle it. Yeah, sure. Well, we, um, before COVID, we used to go to a lot of restaurants. Um, we, of course we spent, during COVID, we spent pretty much all of 2020 not really going to any restaurants, but in general, right. We're a family that we love eating good food. We generally enjoy eating out a lot. Um, and Ollie really likes to eat out as well. And she'll get really excited about going to a restaurant. Uh, <laughs> so we've, we've tried to integrate eating out into our lives, but in general, she does okay. Um, there, you know, there've definitely been some instances and situations where she had some anxiety over going. Um, but in general, you know, I think for us, the key has been to, to, um, to just split, you know, split meals and have like, so if, you know, we normally you might go to a restaurant and, you know, each person would order their food. Um, we generally order from a regular menu. You know, we don't normally make any changes in terms of what the kids can order, but we, uh, we do pay attention to the quantity. So sometimes what this looks like is like, um, my son gets his own meal uh, usually, you know, food portions here in the States are huge. So I can usually <laughs> split a meal with Ollie, the two of us. Um, and sometimes we'll even just ask for, you know, an extra plate and we'll split it right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. So I've found that she generally does not have anxiety when she, you know, she knows what's hers, it's on her plate and she just gets to eat it. So, you know, the meal arrives, we, we split it up the portions and so forth. And then, you know, she gets her portion and everybody else gets their portion. So that's kind of how we've, um, we've managed it. But I, I do want to say that our experiences has been that her anxiety around food definitely comes sometimes in waves. Like there's been phases where she has not had that much anxiety around food. And then there's been other times when she's had more. So what this has meant for us as a family is that we just kind of try to go with the flow and, and like be aware of how she's doing, you know, that way if we're going to a restaurant, we can always, 
um, you know, we can always make an intervention, a small one, if we need to, we can mm -hmm. always think a little bit in advance about how we're going to, how we're going to approach the meal. What about you? I'm curious to know what you, what you all do when you go to a restaurant. Kind of the same thing, although we'll get like a to-go box and I'll put half of it in a to-go box. And then, you know, that'll, that can be lunch tomorrow, but you have to do, we have to do it like right in the beginning. Like when I see the food, I'm like, that's a lot of food for you. It's going to make your belly hurt. I always remind her that it's not going to make her feel well because she wants to eat it and she's not happy that I'm taking half of it away. But, um, you know, I'm just really firm and, but, but nice, you know, just like, nope, that's going to make your belly hurt. So, and then yeah. cut yeah. it and <laughs> like, I, there can't be any negotiation. You know, I think sometimes people really want to talk things out with kids. And that's great, you know, and sometimes it works. And then <laughs> other times it just has to be a very clear boundary. That's what works with Freya sometimes. Sometimes she doesn't need to talk it out, but other times it's just a very clear boundary. That's too much food for you. It's not okay for your body. It'll make you hurt. I'm putting half of this in the thing and you're welcome to eat the other half. And then we move on. Yeah. Um, and what about like uh, parties or like social events at somebody's house? you know, my friends are all really fantastic at, well, we haven't had parties in over a year, but, um, it was, you know, like when we eat, we have the food and then we got to put the food away. So rather than like the food sitting out all night while kids are running around and parents are out by the fire, you know, like they know, especially at our house, like the food's out for a little bit, eat, and then we put it away. Um, that's one of my plus sides for just being really open and honest with your community and the people in your life is that you get a lot of helpers and it's fantastic. Yeah, no, that's so true. I think we've done something similar in terms of those social situations. I mean, it's true. Those are some of the hardest times because, you know, you don't want to inconvenience people too much. You want to have a sense of normalcy to things. Um, and yet it is helpful, you know, even for like your own sake to not to have some peace around if you want to go sit by the fire, for example, you know, you know, you're not going to be able to do that if there's like food sitting around. And I think, you know, us, we spend some of our time in Spain and that is a place where meals tend to last a really long time <laughs> and people tend to sit around the dinner table for hours and, you know, often the food kind of stays out. Um, but what, what we found to be helpful, first of all, is, you know, during the appetizer phase of dinner, um, to give Ollie a separate portion and just like, we'll take, you know, a little bit of each thing. Cause she really wants like a little bit of every single item. Mm -hmm. And even if it's only like one chip or one olive, she seems to be just fine with that. So, you know, we'll take whatever her portion is and give it to her. And, uh, she kind of has clear in her mind that this is mine. And this is the part that I get. And then, you know, if she wants more after that, it's kind of like, well, you know, you already ate your portion, so you're going to have to wait. Mm -hmm. And then after dinner or, um, you know, after people are done, I, I always, uh, you know, put food away and there's been times, you know, at certain people's house where we've said, Hey, could we just like move this upward in the kitchen or move it up high or put it back in the fridge. Mm -hmm. And I found that people are, people are generally okay with that. Of course, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but you know, like you said, for good friends, you know, even if a couple of times you go through this process and, and tell them, you know, then later it becomes more natural. It's just like we finish dinner, we put the food away and that makes it a lot easier for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And it's also just, it, it, it feels, it just feels really good too. Like on my 40th birthday, we had a big party and camp out and, you know, there was food all over the place. And then, you know, the adults wanted to go have a dance party in the dining hall and 
I just got up and like got, you know, started getting some Tupperwares and I didn't say anything. And like some of my friends saw me and they were like, oh yeah, we got to put the food away before we go. And then there were like 10 people just like wrapping food in foil and like, you know, where can I put this? And it just, it was like a community effort um, all for, you know, keeping Freya safe. And it was just really sweet and beautiful. And so, you oh, know, that's so nice. That's so nice. And I, I love that you have friends like that. Cause I have reflected on this a lot. And I think that having close friendships is one of the most important things we can do for our kids. Um, you know, I mean, not to diverge from the topic of food. I know we probably have more to say about that, but you know, in our situation, um, we found that Ollie, uh, really likes being in social relationships. And it's just so much easier when those relationships are like with a whole family, you know? Uh-huh. And so we're friends with the parents too. And it's, it just feels more natural and everyone can kind of be who they are, mm-hmm. so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it feels safe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we have, we have some friends who will invite us over for dinner and they'll, they'll check in with me first. Like, Hey, can we cook this? Or we have popsicles. Is that okay to bring it out? Or should we wait? You know, that, like I have some really conscious people in my life that I really appreciate. And part of that is because I've been so open with our story. So, um, I just always want to stress that because I know some families feel a little, you know, a little less comfortable being so open and sharing their story. But I think that in general, people really want to help. And uh, so it's good to let them know how. Yeah, I I found that too, actually. People do, people do want to help. And it's just that they don't, they don't necessarily know what they should do if they should do anything. And it's kind of nice to be able to give people something to do, (laughs) right? Uh A way to contribute. Mm -hmm. Um, I really, really like that. I think that's a that's a great strategy. And, you know, we all need community. I mean, even without our kids, we all need community. So the, the ways to help build this community are by building trust and, and spending time and opening up to each other about what our habits and routines look like and how we can support each other. Absolutely. Do you take any precautions at home around food or do you lock food away or is it not like for at our house, it's enough to just keep it off the counters like we still have a fruit bowl out and I don't have to worry about Freya getting it she doesn't dig through the cabinets but if like the oats get left in the pot on the stove then I have to worry about that like she'll she will go for that and (laughs) sometimes she is on enough to come to me and ask me to put the oats away which is always feels like a little victory but yeah so how how is it at your house I think we have a very similar situation at our house at least so far um, we, the, we actually lock up our kitchen at night and the main reason for doing that, it wasn't because Ollie was getting into the kitchen every night. It was just because I realized that I wanted us to be able to sleep without, you know, like a little tiny bit of our awareness, kind of uh-huh. wondering if the kitchen was being broken right. into our strategy has just been to kind of close it up at night. We also have a fruit bowl that's kind of out And like I said, for us, this has really gone in phases. You know, there have been phases where I've just noticed that Ollie has a little more anxiety. Um, And during those times, I've tried to keep kind of all food just a little bit out of sight. It seems to be out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. Um, But other times when she's having less anxiety and doing well, she's, you know, has definitely been capable of, um, like you said, like not you know, grabbing the oatmeal or something, for example, or not, you know, picking up the crumbs. I mean, I think there's a lot of little food behaviors with PWS that can be 
pretty small and not really worth like obsessing over, but yet at the same time, you have to be aware of it. That way you could sort of like make a change to your routine. If, if you found that, you know, there's a way that we could help our kids manage their anxiety around food. You know, she loves, she loves sort of being involved with food. Um, and I do have to kind of keep an eye on her to make sure that, you know, it doesn't slide into something that's not good for her. Uh, but you know, she will say, okay, you know, mom, can you grab the carrots? So I generally grab the carrots when we're going to go be with the horse and she's, she's pretty good about that. But I've, I think my, my main thing is just that, you know, being aware, um, I think I'm very aware of how she's doing and what, what's going on with her kind of food anxiety. And there's times when it's bad. And then strictness is like super important. And then there's other times when it's okay. And I think it's okay to be a little less strict. You know, we also have another child and so do you. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, how do you balance between um, having like a kind of absolute lockdown, you know, while your other children are there and they, they want to be able to go to the refrigerator and grab something if they wanted, not be worried about it. And so it, I was just saying that I, I think it's a hard balance to strike, but there's a lot of different ways of, of managing and making it work for everyone. Mm-hmm. That's, I think we can start talking about anxiety because that's something that just really in the last few years that I've been learning more about. And part of it was interviewing Griffin, who uh, he was 17, I believe when I interviewed him and he has PWS and he was talking about the anxiety is what kind of drives everything. I just kind of always thought there was like this food drive and then there was anxiety as well, but I didn't realize how interrelated they are. So if we could talk about um, just anxiety and ways that, you know, what we see. Yeah, I've, I've, I really liked that episode with Griffin, by the way. And I, and I thought it was fascinating to hear an individual with PWS, obviously a pretty high functioning person be able to reflect on their experience and share, you know, what it's like. Um, I had suspected for a while that at least in our case, the anxiety is kind of the principal issue because it's sort of similar to anxiety. It's a little bit, seems to me similar to kind of OCD and yet food seems to kind of be like the, the issue at hand. Um, you know, it's kind of an obsession over food and interest in food and anxiety over food. Um, I mean, Ollie, you know, absolutely. I I don't think she really understands the concept of like full versus hungry. Um, Mm -hmm. But it seems, it seems to be, you know, driven by anxiety. Like for one reason, I said earlier that there are times when she's got high anxiety and she gets more obsessive about food at those times. And then there absolutely have been phases where maybe even for as much as six months, she didn't even mention food her anxiety was for some reason much lower and she did not obsess over it. She just kind of went with the flow. Um, and that's not to say we, you know, we still had our routine in terms of, you know, sitting down at the table to eat and, and eating at the same times, but she didn't seem to stress over it too much. So there's different things that happen. Like I know that her anxiety tends to be higher when other people are feeling anxiety, like around the end of the school year, when all the kids in the class are probably feeling a little bit, you know, itchy to get out of school and like, they know something's ending. That's always been a high anxiety time for her. Um, And then just other, you know, parts of her development, other transition times, she's had higher anxiety. So we do a lot of um, 
of things at our house. Like we work a lot on, you know, breathing. We work on uh, recognizing when you're feeling, you know, nervous or upset and just kind of sitting with it a little bit and talking about it. Uh, we've worked on doing yoga. She really, really loves yoga and that seems to have helped quite a bit. And I think just what I'm trying to do is kind of um, help her develop some skills for, for like noticing when she's feeling anxious and, and communicating to people that she needs something, she needs some support. Mm -hmm. That's kind of, that's kind of what we've been doing, but I absolutely agree with you. Anxiety, it seems to be more about anxiety than food at sometimes, which is interesting and different from what you expect is going to happen. And I love the idea of the practice of, of giving her tools that sh- so that she'll be able to manage her anxiety or at least know how to ask for help because I think that's so important and I think it's easy for us as parents to want to be the one to fix everything and and but that puts a lot of pressure you know then you always got to be there and be ready to fix it and instead you know help them have the tools because you can't always be there like what if she starts feeling this severe anxiety when she's in the middle of class and if you've taught her these these breathing techniques or you know um then she is able to kind of help you know self-manage her anxiety a little bit or at least start so i think that's fantastic I think yeah that's great she, advice. Is, she is able to to self-manage <laughs> a little bit i mean obviously you know she's only nine and she needs right. support and i assume she's always going to need support but um how empowering right like how empowering to know that you know, in addition to other people supporting you, you can also help yourself. Um, and you know, I, I suffered from anxiety as a young person. I remember having a horrible anxiety attack when I was only about four years old. And so I know, I know what it feels like to have anxiety and it's, it's absolutely, you know, a driver to so much of our behavior, even at really subtle levels. I mean, I think if most of us look at our day and start to pay attention, we would realize how much anxiety is also driving the things that we do, right? It's just Uh that we are um, able to cope and we have like enough self-regulation of our emotions that we're able to kind of get through it. Um, But, you know, anxiety, it's great to figure out ways to kind of, you know, get through it as opposed to avoid it because actually nobody can like avoid it really. It's just a part of our life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so true. We can't avoid it. We have to get through it. But then you start learning all of these ways that you can help manage the anxiety and then it's not as overwhelming and you realize that there are tools that you can cultivate. And uh, so that feels good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it helps to also understand how anxiety works. I mean, anxiety in itself is actually a form of fear. And, you know, what do we do when we feel fear? Well, we automatically try to escape from it. We try to push it aside, get away from it, avoid it at all costs, because that's just what fear feels like in our body and in our system. Like that's the essence of it. Um, But I can remember when I was learning about it and managing my own anxiety, you know, it's far more effective if we just slow down and stop what we're doing and try and you know, not try to push the anxiety away, but like, let it run its course a little bit, at least like, let it kind of process through our system, work with it, you know, and then often you can start something else or, uh, you know, distract a child away from it or, you know, move them forward in some way that's, that's more helpful than, you know, managing our whole life around avoiding these things. Um, Because inevitably they happen and we need to 
know that it, it's not the end of the world. It's just anxiety. Right. And we yeah. just have to like work with it and get through it. Yeah. It will pass. That's the important. It will. Journey. It absolutely does. Yeah. <clears throat> well, so some of the signs that Freya uh, has anxiety is that, you know, one of the things that Freya does, she does the obsessive questioning or talking about the same subject. And, you know, I, I think it was, um, doing the, that, um, it wasn't a webinar because we were in person we, with, uh, Lisa Graziano, the behavior management conference. Oh, right. That's right. Yeah. And she was talking about the, the obsessive uh, questioning and, and repetition, but perseveration on topics and how that mm-hmm. is a sign of anxiety. So I hadn't realized that until she brought that up. And so um, I see that around certain subjects, but it's weird because sometimes it doesn't seem like anxiety. Sometimes it's like excitement. Like she just loves to talk about certain things and wants yeah. to keep talking about it. So I find it's hard to determine if it's actually anxiety or just excitement, but I do. I think it can be both. Actually, we've had that same experience that <laughs> talking about something can be a way of reliving it, or dreaming about it, or thinking about it, right? Mm-hmm. And it can it can come, you know, in terms of okay. Sometimes Ollie wants to know an answer to something, and she wants to know about it over and over again. Or she can be so excited about something, as you said, that she wants to, you know, rehash the exciting thing. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes it's the dinner we had the night before. <laughs> yeah. And I don't mind that actually, because I have to admit, I love food and I don't, I like talking about food as well. So uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> I understand, I, you know, if a person loves food, that there will be some level of, of like, okay, I want to, you know, rehash, like there's that pizza place that we go to when we go camping and how great is it? Right. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Yeah. Well, so if I feel like it's um, getting, especially with the questions, if she keeps asking me the same question over and over again, I will eventually just ask her, do you know the answer to that? Did I answer this already? And she's, you know, she basically says, yes, (laughs) they do need to keep asking (laughs) or I'll give her the like one more question limit. Yeah. Um, Because sometimes it's, it causes me anxiety. Like when, like, cause it just, and I tried to explain this to her the other day, cause, um, you know, there's just a lot going on in a parent's head when you're thinking about all the different things you have to do. And then you're answering the same question over and over again. It was like, I could feel my anxiety rising. rising. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, Freya, you're really taking a lot of my headspace right now with the same question. I've already answered it. I need you to not ask me anymore. Right. Yeah. Right. That's such a good strategy. We've done that a little bit before, after we went to a conference, we saw Elizabeth Roof speak. She's like a behavioral specialist. Uh, She's at Vanderbilt University. And she said it was perfectly fine to just um, say, okay, you know, like you can ask me three times, just set your limit wherever it's at, you know, and then they will, they will go ahead and do it three times. And then after that, you kind of give yourself permission to be like, I'm not going to answer that again. Mm -hmm. Um, And that seems to work. We've used that a couple of times when like you said, I found myself noticing like, oh, I'm the one with a short fuse right now. And I just, you know, I just can't handle my child talking to me constantly. The other thing that has worked for me is sometimes, you know, Ollie will really want to talk about something and it's great if you have something that you need her to do, because you can kind of build that in and you can say, well, you know, why don't you, um, you know, finish unloading the dishwasher first. And after that, we will chat, we will talk about this. And for us, for Ollie, that's a real motivator, like knowing that we can talk about something and kind of revel in it 
you know, she'll, she'll go right through her task, whatever she's working on, like excited that we're just going to talk about the same thing again at the end of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good tactic because I have found when I really get frustrated is when I've asked Freya to do something and she can't move on until she's talking and like, she's still talking about this thing. And then I'll say, okay, Freya, I need you to go do this. And she'll take a few steps or she'll just still stand there. And it's like, she can't even register what I'm saying because she just needs to talk about what she wants to talk about. And yeah. so that I, maybe I'll, I'll have to try that next. Like, okay, I will talk about this with you. I'm really excited to talk about it, but first I need you to do this. So. Yeah. For me, for me, it works well, actually. And, you know, we have, um, we're, we're really trying to promote Ollie's independence in terms of doing stuff by herself. And so uh, I've used that quite a bit cause she's very chatty. You know, she wants to talk all the time about stuff. And so I've used that as a way to also move her through her routine, you know, say, well, uh -huh. we, yeah, we're going to talk, but first we got to do this, you know, and then we talk and then the next task comes up and, uh, I don't know. It's, it's like that thing of trying to manage things that'll help them, but at the same time, help you. <laughs> Right. I mean, our mental health is important as well. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> um, so I have down here also skin picking. I know that uh, Ollie loves to wear band-aids and Freya hates them. So <laughs> yeah, we do. We do have issues with skin picking. That has, has been a, a tough one for us. And I, I think part of the reason is because it's that one thing that tends to drive me crazy as a person. <laughs> uh huh. And um I've talked with other people about this. There's a mom who lives in Sacramento and we've, we've talked about it a few times. And she told me that, you know, she doesn't have any problem getting the band-aids out and, you know, just letting her daughter do it and being sweet about it. But I do, uh -huh. <laughs> I haven't been able to become the sweet loving mom with regards to skin picking and Ollie will pick her fingernails. She'll pick her skin around the nails. She'll pick her lips. And for some reason it just drives me crazy. So I'm working on that at, on myself, kind of like self-therapy, you know, trying to become a more understanding, compassionate person with uh -huh. regards to skin picking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same here. Freya, with her, it it's not always a problem, but it, it does flare up at times. And I'm not always the most compassionate about it either. It just makes me nuts. And I think it's because you see them and it just like, it, they're hurting themselves and it's so yeah. hard to watch. And Freya will not wear a Band-Aid. Yeah, I don't know that I actually have any tips for that. I'm not sure why I brought it up, but. <laughs> well, it's something important that we go through, I think. And it's, I think part of the frustrating thing about it is that um, it is hard to manage and there's not like a clear solution, right? Like uh -huh. part of the problem I think for Ollie is that I don't think it hurts her that much to do it. You know, at least when I look at her doing it and I'm feeling like, oh God, my child's, you know, picking their skin and there isn't kind of that yuck factor. Um, <laughs> uh -huh. you know, and so she'll do things that, that would hurt me, but I, I don't think that she's getting really that hurt by them. And that's the high pain threshold that they can sometimes have. Um, and we've, we've tried a lot of things with skin picking, but what I have found that is helpful is if I can try and not get angry because, you know, if the more attention that you give them over something then they know that there's a way they can get your attention if they want to. Mm. And so for me, um, I sort of go back and forth between like, you know, not reacting, but putting a bandaid on. And yes, Ali loves band-aids. Honestly, 
when it's not too hot, we just try to keep most of her covered, you know, long sleeve shirt is good. Uh, socks is good. Cause sometimes she likes to pick the nails around her feet. Having socks on actually is like a great solution. So does Ollie ever work herself up into meltdown? And maybe that's not the right way to say it. That's not, not necessarily like it's an intent, an intentional act, but does she ever have moments where she just really seems um, emotionally just out of, out of her element, out of control? Yeah, sometimes. I mean, I would say she's, she's generally a super excited, enthusiastic kid. But there, there have obviously been times when she's melted down for one reason or another. And I think sometimes it's just a combination of she's really sad and disappointed about something coupled with she's stuck in a mental rut <laughs> and she kind of just keeps going around and around it. I mean, sometimes I have different ways of handling that, but generally I, I try to get her to talk about how she's feeling because I think that's good for her to also notice like what is it that's making her sad? That way we can kind of empathize. You know, I can kind of say, yeah, wow, that is really sad. And I am really sad too. Um, You know, and then at some point, if she just keeps going with it, then it's like, okay, you know, you start pulling all your, (laughs) pulling out all of your strategies and just trying one after the next say, okay, can I distract her away from this? Can I offer her something else that she likes to do? You know, Uh can I get her moving? I mean, it's funny, but often moving the body really can take your mind off something like, oh, let's go for a walk. Yay. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Freya doesn't have regular meltdowns at all, but she, she can get herself, she can get really worked up. The other day she was talking about, so we babysat these bunnies for a weekend because they're in my, in Rona's class, they're these baby bunnies and they're, you know, they're, they're free to go home. And oh, um, that's so cute. Yeah. But we got to watch them for a weekend because we have a rule of no animals in cages in our house. And mm-hmm. <laughs> so they were in Freya's classroom for a couple of days and some of her classmates are like, Ooh, I got to take one home. And so in the morning, Freya was telling me that, you know, two of the kids get to take bunnies home. And then she said so clearly with no articulation issue at all, <laughs> I feel really left out. And Aww. it wasn't like pouty or whiny. And I understood every word, which is not always the case. And I was just so proud of her. And I just yeah. said, wow, I, I really heard that. You were very clear at expressing yourself. Thank you for that. But I was just really happy that she was able to express herself so clearly. But she's not always able to do that. The conference that we did with Lisa Graziano, I learned so much about just the empathy and being there when they're really feeling, when they're really so upset that you know you're, there's no fixing it. There's just right. being there, being with them, being empathetic. I hear you. That sounds really frustrating. Yeah, it's so important. I mean, I think we can't <laughs> overstate that enough, really. You know, so much of the time, I feel like we're with our kids and we're just hoping we could control their experience or make sure that this or that doesn't happen, you know, and there's a lot of disappointments in life. And so that they can feel accompanied when that happens is really great. And also work on their own skills of knowing what it is that's that's wrong, you know, how they're feeling. I, I think it's great that we can just try to recognize that they're gonna have their struggles. And sometimes the only thing to do is just to be there with them, you know? Yeah, well, it was interesting when we did that conference, I was also um, really starting to learn about nonviolent communication at the time. And so, excuse me, putting the two together, like connecting them of, and just how similar mm-hmm. they are and 
it was just so mind blowing to me. And I was like, wow, like this is, should just be how we talk to each other and how we interact. And why, why is this something that we have to go learn or read in a book or, you know, just to have empathy and compassion for somebody that's really struggling emotionally? Why is that not our, our automatic go-to? And yeah, it is for some people, not. <laughs> but yeah, we have well, to be taught it is, that. Perhaps for very few people it is, but I, I think for most people it's not. Um, and the thing is, is, you know, we, even in our normal interactions, you know, somehow we manage to function generally without needing to be really empathetic and without really needing to connect with people in that way. But if we do know how to do it, I mean, it just can improve our relationships so much. It really can. And it, and a lot of times it diffuses situations because people aren't having to you know, they, they know they're being heard. They feel like they're being heard, so they don't have to ramp up. So what is Ollie's favorite, um, movement activity? What can really get her going if, if you feel like she needs to just get moving? Oh gosh, honestly, Ollie's such an active person. I mean, I think we've been a little bit lucky in that respect. She'll get moving with just about anything. I mean, she can get motivated even to take a walk. That's very exciting for her. She's constantly wanting to go walking, but she loves, loves rock climbing as well. Oh, wow. So yeah, I mean, she absolutely loves it. Um, she's good at it. <laughs> and there's, there happens That's to be awesome. a rock climbing wall on the path that is near our house. And so, you know, if we go on a walk and we walk right by the rock climbing wall, she can always climb. She really enjoys that movement. And, and then she loves, you know, she loves horseback riding. She loves hiking. She likes just about anything. But, Good. you know, we don't always have the time to do that kind of stuff. So I would say if we just want a quick pick me up, you know, something just to get her moving, then, you know, at home, I would say either walk around the block or, or yoga. She loves yoga as well. So nice. either one of those things could motivate her in an instant. <laughs> nice. Good. Yeah. yeah Freya, but her favorite thing is dancing. And oh, we do a that's lot of lovely. Yeah, it's so nice. We do a lot of dancing in this house. And she'll even ask me, like, if I'm making dinner or something, she'll be like, Mama, can I dance? She always asks me first, meaning, <laughs> can I turn on the radio? Can I turn on music? And I'm like, of course. And she's just so fun to watch. Like, she's such a great dancer and she gets so into it. And it's such a joyful experience for her. Yeah, physical movement. I think, you know, sometimes we rack our brains trying to figure out what works. And sometimes just physical movement is so incredible in terms of the effect it can have very quickly just on how you're feeling. And for uh -huh. our kids, it's so great to get them already in the mode of thinking of, you know, moving around. I wanted to ask you if you had any tips on how to bring more gratitude into your life. Cause I know that's like your thing and you're very good at it yes. and you have to talk about it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I do. I do love to talk about it because, you know, it sounds simple, but it actually really works. And it's, one of those things we're always looking for a, a quick fix, you know, something that's just going to fix things once and for all, and we don't have to worry about it, but absolutely something like having gratitude in your daily life makes a huge difference. Um, and how do we do this? I mean, in our family, I, you know, we're not like religious. We don't um, attend church, but I just instituted at dinner that, you know, before dinner, we would have this round of gratitude and we would just take a moment to think about the things that we liked that day, what went well, what are we grateful for? Um, sometimes we have a pretty funny time doing this because, you know, the things that come up are 
not what I would typically think, oh, you know, I'd be really grateful for that. But my kids have some great ideas about what they're grateful for. <laughs> uh, and they've, I mean, they really enjoy doing it. You know, and the other way that I've just tried to make this a part of our lives is like, you know, taking a moment to pause and reflect on it. So maybe if we're on a walk, let's say, and it's a really nice day, I'll just say, Ollie, look, you know, look at the trees, look how green they are. Um, aren't they pretty? Or I'll say, you know, what do you see around you that, that you like? Or um, I'll say, oh, what was, what was the funnest thing that happened today? You know, I'll ask these questions, kind of gets the brain going in a different direction, right? It's really easy for us to just focus on what we want to change, you know, that remark somebody made that really annoyed us. Or, you know, in my case, it's really easy to say, gosh, I, I, this house is so messy. It's really bugging me. <laughs> uh -huh. I know that one. <laughs> I'm always wanting to like have a, you know, a clean organized house and then I could feel good. Uh, it's just not as natural for us to focus on what's already good and all of the blessings we have. But if we can do that, you know, if you pay attention, you really do feel better. And if you feel better, then you treat other people better. And if you treat other people better, then they treat you better is kind of a upward spiral uh, in terms of the effect. Mm -hmm. So I, I think in my life, it's sort of a balance between, you know, knowing that it's important to cultivate what's positive in order to be more balanced, but at the same time, also being, being true, being real, you know, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm really bummed or gosh, today was hard or, you know, this, there's just something about this whole thing that's really tough for me. And I, maybe I don't really know what it is, but you know, it's like, okay, self-compassion, it's time for some self-compassion, <laughs> right? I think yeah. we could all use a little bit more of that. We need um, to be so much kinder to ourselves. Exactly. And also, you know, not compare ourselves constantly. I mean, I noticed with myself how easy it is to compare myself, myself to other women that don't have kids or women that have kids that are older or don't have children with special needs. You know, I mean, we have so much in common with those people, but yet at the same time, there are real differences. There are things that we face that are very difficult. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's kind of a balance. It's like on one hand, um, you know, integrate gratitude. And on the other hand, have self-compassion that we're not always going to feel great. You know, there are things that this life has to teach us. And sometimes, sometimes it's not easy. Sometimes it takes some time. So mm -hmm. that's, that's kind of how, how I try to approach this, but I can honestly say that, you know, I think that our, our overall experience with having a child with special needs has been like a really great one. It's, taught us so much about what's important. And it's also just these kids add a lot to our lives. You know, they just bring a lot of meaning and a lot of purpose and a lot of, um, you know, they, they are happy. They do experience happy things. They do get really, really excited about things. And to be able to share that with them is like really special. Mm -hmm. 